With us, our guest, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Bo Bichette. I'm almost like superstitious in the fact that I don't want to be superstitious. You know, to do it against, you know, maybe one of the best ever, if not the best ever, um, you know, it's pretty cool to think about. Welcome to another episode of Digging In with JP and Sebia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashbourne. I almost butchered your Yeah, Sebia. I was going to say, it was, you, it was you on the stuck? fringe. Did you get stuck on my name today? Yeah, that, I've done this enough times. You'd think I'd be able to do it, but no. Anyway, this is another episode of Digging In with JP, Air, and Sevia. I appreciate that. And I should not have spent so much time on this open because the exciting news is that our guest today is the one and only Bo Bichette, who's been tearing it up for the Blue Jays, setting all kinds of records. Some of them quite obscure, to be honest. Some of them of like number of extra base hits through X number of games are a little bit tortured. Not the best fun facts, maybe, but you can't deny what this guy's doing at a very young age with the bat in the field. It's been, it's been really fun to watch. I mean, when you come up and you just hit every ball that you hit is almost a double. I mean, yeah, they're, they're obscure records, but he's, I mean, it's ridiculous what he torching he, what Rowdy did oh my last God, year. Rowdy, hey, friend who of the show. About, who cares about those six doubles Jeez. or whatever Rowdy did? I know. And, and I mean, he's listen, he's been, as advertised and even better, I think everybody was waiting. Listen, Kevin Biggio, you have Guerrero Jr., all of a sudden Bichette. I think that it's been super cool to see little by little by little these guys coming up, right? And so now you have Bo Bichette. There's no more questions. I think now what's crazy is he's done so well that the question is, is he the best one? Is he the one that was the the super prospect as opposed to was Vladdy the number one prospect or is it Bo Bichette? And there's a question. But the good news is, is who cares who the number one prospect is is because they're all on the Toronto Blue Jays and they're all under the same entry-level contract and they're going to be around for the same time. And then, you know, now you have Nate Pearson and Triple A throwing rockets and he's in the wings. So I think it's fun time to be a Blue Jays fan because you get to watch – these young kids grow right in front of your eyes. Okay, we're going to get to Bo in in a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about MVP and award races because that's something that's always been a big part of the end-of-the-season stories, whether you buy into them or not. The one I remember is Miguel Cabrera and the Triple Crown versus Mike Trout, but there's been tons of them throughout the years. In, the, in September, you're going to see countless who's going to win the Cy Young, who's going to win the MVP, those type of stories. And I read one just the other day, and it was just about how certain Mike Trout and Cody Bellinger are. Like, there's just no real debate from here on out. And barring a huge disaster from either one, there's just no way anyone can win the MVP other than those guys, which is great. You know, Trout's been unbelievable. Bellinger's been fantastic. Those guys excel in every aspect of the game, and they deserve it 100%. My question to you is how much do you care about award races, especially, I mean, this one, we don't even get to care about it because it's nothing. So I want to know how much you and you think players follow these award races, and then we're going to power rank the sort of major awards in terms of your level of being invested in them. But I'll leave just the open-ended one with you first. How much do you care about award races and who wins awards? Um, I mean, I don't care about them. I, I, as a player... I was only excited about the possibility of when I got called up my rookie season because I had 23 home runs and that I could possibly even have a chance at saying rookie of the year, even on any kind of ranking. But after that, I think the one to me that I 
I don't agree with is a pitcher getting the MVP. And pitchers have their own award. It's called Cy Young. So if you're a pitcher and you strap it up one every five days, I think it's tough for a pitcher to be an MVP of a league. To me, it just I just can't see. It. There's no way to me. I know war and all these different things, and yeah, they have a great year. I just don't think that there's a pitcher that should get the MVP. I think they get the Cy Young. So that's the one thing for me that I I think is a is kind of a a dookie thing that can happen. I think the comeback player of the year is a is a weird one for me because like you can have a down year and then come back and then you're the comeback player of the year but like what why come back you didn't it's not like you had an injury i think like a comeback player should be like a guy that was injured and then all of us missed a year and then who came back like i don't think just because you have a down year one year and then you're you're good the next year like you're a down your comeback player of the year yeah that one's a weird one like this year for instance hunter pence has been talked about a lot he didn't really go no, anywhere. He, yeah, he, he just got old. And yeah. then, I mean, you know, congrats on him turning it around. And that's great. And he's a but good player to see. But I don't think that's a comeback player But it's an, odd, it's an odd one. For the MVP pitcher one, the one place I'd go against you is if the pitcher is an unreal hitter. If he's in the NL and he's been I mean, an ace and yeah, he's killing it with the bat yeah, too. Yeah, but is he? he's not even contributing enough as a pitcher and a hitter. Like, you, he'd have to, he had to be like Shohei Otani kind of pitcher hitter now that we can talk about mvp but even if you're if you have 20 like something cranky when he's killed when he's really been good at yeah the but i still don't think that it's enough to to me i don't think so and you know what i was gonna tell you i know that we talked about the mvp races being solidified i don't think that those maybe the american league is solidified national league is debatable i the one that i think is hands down not even a question is pete alonzo national league rookie of the year like there's there's like you can you can make an argument for anybody in like let's say Yelich and Bellinger. You can argue back and forth, right? I think it's debatable. I mean, their Fringe numbers debatable. I think Bellinger has been okay, significantly but, better. Yeah, but they're they're still if Yelich went off from here and Bellinger I mean, declined. Yeah, yeah Bellinger. I mean, Yelich has a better OPS than Bellinger. I know he hasn't. He hasn't. There's a lot of things that he doesn't do as good as Bellinger. Bellinger's defense is off the charts. All these different things. He also has 24 stolen bases. Bellinger has 10. Like, you can go back and forth, right? I think just think that's debatable. There's no one that can touch Pete Alonso. As soon as Fernando Tatis Jr. went down, it was like, all right, guys, why don't we just give him the award today because there's no one else that's close to it. And I know Soroka's a, a, a beautiful yeah. a beautiful Canadian. Great, great Great player, guy, phenomenal. Dude. He's having a phenomenal year. Still not debatable. Yeah, I think I think that that's probably fair enough. The awards, another aspect of it that I find is interesting is how they end up being worth money in the end. Like whether that's through arbitration, like if you're Pete Alonso, he's going to win that award, we agree. Someday that having that award in his case is going to be worth x amount of dollars, which is really weird because it's a subjective award. Now, he will have deserved that award and I wouldn't want to take it away from him. But sometimes you get award races where the people don't really vote. You know, the right person probably doesn't win. And then that person who won gets to cash in on the money, and then the person who didn't win doesn't. And that's a little bit odd to me. You know what I think is weird, too? I just watched a Ted Williams uh, documentary about him not winning the MVPs, and it was because a lot of the media didn't like him. And think about it. Like, that's also a little bit of a popularity contest, I feel like. 
the the media holds the the gate to the voting as well. Yeah, and people have their own biases and if, you know, all things being equal, there's probably a guy, you know, maybe that guy's been, re- you know, the opposite would just be Bonds because he was a dick and he won all the time, but there was no yeah. debate. Say it was close. Yeah, there are probably people in the media who have had one player been really good to them in the past and another player has been not great to them. Yeah. And even if it's not even something they consider, then it's not like they sit down and say, well, it's equal, but I like this guy more. Yeah, no, it's yeah. just, it's bias. It's in the yeah. back of your head. Everyone has biases. I know that in the media specifically, it's more of a bad word, but every human being has biases. Yeah. And it again, it's deciding real outcomes yeah. for people. It's no, deciding it's... money in arbitration. It's deciding in the future, it helps decide free agent contracts. Yeah. And then if someone's a really, really good player, like you talk about Ted Williams, he's a Hall of Famer no matter what, right? No one yeah, yeah, would have debated yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't a question. But if he had been on the fringe and he didn't get maybe the couple MVPs that you would have wanted to push his case over the edge, then that's interesting. Like Vladdy Guerrero Sr., he's someone who won an MVP. Again, I loved watching him play. I think he's a Hall of Famer, great player. But he only won the one MVP. And the one MVP he did win was a little bit shaky that Debatable. Yeah. So if he hadn't won that MVP, how would that have affected his Hall of Fame case if he could not have said he was MVP? So. It seems like a silly, trivial thing, and we're only talking about the kind of the top upper crust of baseball. But there are real, real ramifications. I mean, there are real debates. I mean, and it's. I just think, I think voting in general has to have just a better guideline, if that makes sense. I don't think. I think that judgment still has to be played a part of it, and I think you respect the baseball writers and everybody that has earned an opportunity to either vote in the Hall of Fame, all these different votes. I think. If if you're around baseball and you write it and you you see it and you care for it as much as all these guys do, I think that there's there's merit to these guys having that opportunity. But I also think that there has to be a little bit of of guideline as far as statistical guidelines to be able to this guy over this guy, this guy over this guy. Yeah, I, that's because you see sometimes you see, and it's not necessarily vote to the top; it's some down ballot vote, and it'll just be for some guy and you're like what was like there's no logic that explains why you put this player seventh on your mvp ballot but again someday in arbitration he gets to go and say we got down ballot mvp votes yada 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 all that kind of stuff and the whole and we don't have to go deep in the baseball writers association of america because i don't think that's of the most interest to people but there is something to be said for that mainly running on longevity so people who have been a part of this organization, the longest are the ones who get votes. And in theory, that makes sense because, you know, these people have been around the game X number of years. Yeah. But in practice, sometimes those people have moved on to different things. They're not actually as active as they used to be. They're more general columnists now. They're not as in tune with baseball as they used to be. It's just because they got this at one point and then they have this membership continuing where some of the newer members, and again, I'm one of the newer members. So I'm not, I'm not even advocating for me because I don't re- like having a vote is not something that I truly dream of. like someday, but like it's not something that I care about too much. Yeah. But some of the newer members are probably more likely to have their finger on their pulse and their eye on the ball because this is their 100% focus. Yeah, this is what you do. That's what you do day in and day out. Yeah. So is- it, is an, it is a bit of a weird process to me that you're affecting lives and not everyone involved is equally invested. And the whole thing ends up being, I think, generally, because it's kind of like a wisdom of crowds thing. Like generally, it, it tends to work itself out yeah. big picture. 
But, you know, Mike Trout is only winning his third MVP this year, so that's kind of silly. And, dude, God, he's so good. I mean, it's not even – it's ridiculous. Like, he's on a different planet. Mike Trout's on a different planet. It's like the – well, it's what happened with LeBron James, too. It's like MVP fatigue. People are like, oh, like, let's yeah, go with the other guy. Yeah, but he keeps getting better, though. Like, I know. This year is incredible. Like, I mean, this year's like getting better. It's like, what? So there's – again, I think that – I agree with you. There's the, – it just – there's a little there's a little thing for me about how it's done. I, I – I think that the newer writers and everybody's more in it and you have to, cause you guys are still making your name in the game. Like there's a lot of things, but I don't know. I just think there has to be some kind of maybe baseball having a little bit more say or have a little bit more or a list. Like here are the people you can vote for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah based would, on what well, it's on like on the, on the guidelines. That yeah. would be, that's cool. So it's like, instead of, yeah, do whatever you want. It's like, and you know, maybe someone will get left off one day, and I don't know how you want to do that statistically, war, whatever numbers you want to use. But if they had, here are the five MVP candidates, I think that would be a little bit better. It would prevent people from kind of wasting votes on guys that don't have a case. Yeah. Um, I think that might be something. So I wanted to power rank the awards. I think the discussion we ended up having was more interesting than that, but we did promise that. So just quickly, okay, your favorite awards, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, manager of the year i would say my favorite would be mvp obviously for me i would say rookie of the year would be second for me cy young i think manager and then comeback player of the year i'm I'm off the comeback player of the year unless there's better guidelines because like you said hunter pence dude this guy's a freaking this guy was an all-star for many years did well he sucked for a season and now he's doing good and he's the comeback player of the year no i think somebody that Somebody got hurt. Somebody that wasn't around that missed all the season. All of a sudden, they're back. That that's to me what a comeback player of the year should be. Yeah, I don't think it even needs to exist in any form. Like it's not all the sports have. Like it's just it seems an like an artificial yeah. thing. Like okay, there are hitters and pitchers. Let's have an award for each. That makes sense. Yeah, I would go MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year. I, yeah, cut comeback player of the year, manager, manager of the year is funny because I think people have no idea how to vote for it. I think people... Well, because how do you vote for it? Yeah. Because what happens if the man... Oh, I'm not saying I do. I just think that overall it's impossible to evaluate these guys. Yeah, how do you... Like, dude, you you have an un- unreal team. So then you win a ton of games. That makes you the manager of the year? Uh, I mean, how? How? What did you... Because well, you got wins? I could have put my mom to freaking write the lineup on that team. You kind of know how it's going to go, right? So I And then you get the flip side where it's often it's sort of, okay, what was expected? Who did bet the most better than expected? Yeah. And then you give it to that guy. Well, great, but did they do better than expected because of the good managing? Or maybe the player development was really good. Maybe yeah. the pitching coach unlocked stuff in these pitchers and the manager had nothing to do with what ended up making them maybe they're just really healthy maybe they just didn't get any injuries and everyone in their division did it's tough and i again i wouldn't want to pry that award out of the hands of anyone who's won it and i'm sure there's a lot of been worthy recipients but it's it's a bizarre one yeah that one that one to me is one that i'm just like i kind of and again the comeback player of the year they can take they can get rid of it and i'm kind of cool with it all right, there's been a very unfocused but I think somewhat productive discussion of awards, and let's get on to the main event here, one Bo Bichette. I think it's pretty much even safe to say right now the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Bo Bichette. Bo, as we ask everybody on this on this podcast, when they got called up, how did it all go down? What was, you know, 
just tell us about that that day yeah well um you know it's pretty crazy all the talk was you know if i was gonna get called up the jays had to kind of make room for me so before the game um silver got traded and i started thinking i was like man i'm you know if i'm gonna get called up it'll be before the game or after the game and i didn't get scratched i didn't get scratched from the lineup so i went out there i played three innings and then bobby Meacham, our manager he came out in the third inning and you know, started talking to the umpire, and I was—I didn't know what was going on. And then he started pointing at me, and he pulled me off the field. So I kind of got like a—I got you know—I don't think a lot of people get to experience that for their call up. So it was pretty cool. What did what was what did he tell you? So how did that go? And then who was the first call? How'd that go? Yeah. Um. So I came in, and he started giving me hugs, and I hadn't talked to Bobby yet. Um. You know, so I ran over to them, dug out, talked to him. He said, "Hey, you know." Gil Kim called and uh, you know he he said to take you off the field because you're going to you're going to meet the team in Kansas City. Um, so immediately I went down, called my mom, called my dad. I put them on a conference call, so I didn't tell you them first. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. I got to let them know, and uh, it was awesome. I've been telling people, you know, people ask me about you, what I think about you, and I've told them from the time that we had the conversation in spring training, it just for me, the confidence that you had, but the true belief, like just not just talking about it, really believing when they, when they ask me, am I surprised what you're doing at the big leagues? I, I, I say no, after meeting you and after you hear you talk, you, I want to ask you, how much do you think that belief in your ability, that belief in yourself has allowed you to get to the big leagues and not make it bigger than what it needs to do and have, you know, the impact you've had from day one? Yeah, man. Well, I think it's really just, I mean, obviously, my dad, you know, has raised me to to believe in myself, and my my mom also, and so, I mean, that's huge for me. But I think just the work that I put in, you know, it's tough to go into a game of confidence, knowing that you didn't put the work in to be successful that day, and and that's what I try to do every day is just to put the work in and know that I'm I'm I put myself in a situation to be, you know, as good as I can be, you know, so. Um, I think it's just the work that I put in, you know, knowing that I've done everything I can. That's kind of why I've been able to get off to the start I've been able to. Bo, there's been a lot of exciting developments for you recently. I think that's fair to say. It's hard to pick just one to point out, but one that was really special was you having this huge game against Clayton Kershaw, who's going to be one of these figures in baseball history that people are talking about decades from now, you know, 100 years from now. What was it like to have that game against him and kind of realize that moment is something that you're going to be looking back on your whole career and potentially after your career is over. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't just Kershaw. It was the fact that I was in, you know, it was a sold, I mean, it seemed pretty sold out in Dodger stadium. So I don't know how many that is. I think like 50,000 or something. And that was the first, like, it felt like playoff atmosphere I had been in. And, you know, it was, it was just a, surreal experience I mean I went out there trying to think you know it's just another pitcher um you know just see the ball hit the ball and you know obviously I did a pretty good job of that but after the game and even during the game a little bit I started to notice you know I did something special and and you know to do it against you know maybe one of the best ever if not the best ever um you know it's pretty cool to think about Another thing that's happened for you recently is this uninterrupted video that recently went out about you and the beginning of your MLB career. 
Did you any have any reservations about letting people into that moment? Because that's kind of an intimate moment for you and your family and your closest people, and now you're kind of inviting the world to see it. Um, yeah, I did actually. I um, when I was approached about it, I didn't. I actually like my first thought was no, um, but the you know I kind of told a couple of my teammates in AAA that you know they wanted to do that you know when the time came, and um, a couple of them told me, dude, like do it you know who cares you know what other people think or anything like that like you're never going to have a debut again and to have someone document it for you you know is something really special so I thought about it and I was like you're right um you know let's do it you know normally I don't like to have people bothering me when I'm at work and especially you know my debut but I thought about it and there was um you know I thought that that was a really cool thing to have it documented there's a lot of moments in that uh, documentary that stand out. But one for me is a, just a line out of your mouth, which was you talk about the relationship you have with your mom. And you say, she may have helped me more than my dad, which I think is something you wouldn't expect a guy with a big league father who can teach you the game might say. And I was hoping maybe you'd elaborate a little bit on that that line and that relationship that you have. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously my dad helped me on the field more. Um than my mom did, but there's so much more to being, you know, a professional baseball player than on the field. I mean, the way that you should conduct yourself off the field, the way you should handle yourself, you know, when you're not playing, um, you know, she taught me a lot. She, she was on me about making sure I recovered, making sure, you know, I was putting myself in the best situation with sleep and eating and all that. Like she, she would come out with me my first couple of years in pro ball and she would live with me for the first month just to make sure that I, I literally only had to think about baseball. You know, she would make sure that everything else was taken care of and allow me to focus on baseball. So that kind of stuff is underestimated. I think, you know, if you can put yourself focused on baseball and not be worried about little things like groceries and laundry and stuff like that, you can, you know, be that much more focused. So things like that, she helped me a ton. You talk about eating. Everybody, I feel like, has some kind of go-to pregame meal, some kind of routine. Is there something that you've gone to and then all of a sudden you, you've been sticking with it because it's been working? Um, no, not really, man. I, I, uh, I tr- I'm almost like superstitious in the fact that I don't want to be superstitious. So, um, yeah, like uh, if I do good one day, uh, I'll be thinking about, man, I should wear that arm sleeve or I should eat what I ate that day. And then I'll just not do it on purpose because I don't want to feel like, you know, feel like I'm dependent on something, something like that. So no, there's not, there's not been anything like that. What's uh, you know, every time you get to the big leagues, obviously you play in the big leagues at the parks, all that stuff is cool. But what has been the coolest thing for you in the big league experience so far? Um, I don't know, man. I think, uh, I think probably just the fact that, you know how it is when you, when you're in the minor leagues, it's like, obviously you want to win and, and you want to be a good teammate and all that. But at the same time, like you're trying to get your dreams. So individual stuff comes first. Um, you know, but now that I'm in the big leagues, really like the only thing that matters is trying to win that game that day. And that makes the game a hundred times more fun. Um, that's, you know, it's made it so much more enjoyable it's made it uh a lot easier to deal with failure i think and so that's been the most fun for me on this podcast we like to get away from the baseball aspect a little bit sometimes and one thing that's interesting about your backstory i think some people know that but not everyone is that you're 
a really, really good tennis player. So I wanted to know what the scouting report on Bo Bichette, the tennis player, is and uh, who you like to watch out there. Yeah, my favorite guy to watch is Nadal for sure. I think um, the the competitor he is is incredible. Um, I just I love watching him compete. Um, but for me, I mean, right now I can still hit a forehand pretty good. I can still hit a serve pretty good. My backhand's a little shaky. Um, but when I was little, man, I could kind of do it all. So um, you know, I'm, I think I I made the right choice. But I could definitely play some tennis. Another off-field aspect of you that people continue to be fascinated with is the hair. And this is a little bit of deep cut. I saw in a Twitter Q&A, you said that you used mane and tail, which is a horse conditioner on your hair. Now, I did some research on this because I couldn't believe it was a thing. And apparently, it's a, it's a really big thing. But I want to know how someone gets onto that, like when you start experimenting with that in the development of your flow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think horses have good hair, right? So I just went to the store <laughs> and I saw it and I, uh, I, I bought it. But to be honest, that like when I was asked that question, that's what I was using at the time. And now I don't really, I just kind of use whatever is in front of me. Um, I don't, I really don't take care of my hair at all. So I got nothing for anybody who wants to know how to have good hair. I just kind of just blessed. blessed. Yeah, I was gonna say just blessed. You know what's what's, yeah. what's funny is I with the tennis thing. So I used to train with Derek Jeter at Saddlebrook and, and that's a tennis academy where James Blake, John Isner, some of these guys were at and, and Derek Jeter every morning was on the tennis court working laterally. Do you think that's helped you with being a shortstop as well? Yeah, no doubt. I think, um, it's also a good escape from, from baseball too. Um, I'm sure that's why, you know, Derek did it, but, um, that's something I tried to do in the off season. Um, more early in the off season, so I don't have to pick up baseballs too soon. But uh, I'll go out to the tennis court every every couple of days and and move around and try and move my feet and and uh, you know because you have to put yourself in a good position to hit the ball, just like you have to put yourself in a good position to field the ball. So it's, it's pretty similar. Um, I think it's helped a lot lateral um, movement, picking up like reading the hops on baseballs and stuff. I think it's helped a lot. It's interesting you mentioned your defense because. If you look through the Bo Bichette Twitter feed, it seems like there's a lot of defensive highlights there. And before the season, there were some people questioning if shortstop was ultimately going to be your position. And I think that now less people are questioning that. So I was wondering what kinds of strides you feel like you've taken with your defense this year. Yeah, I mean, I've taken a lot. Um, I think it's it's probably the easiest thing in, in baseball to say someone's not going to be a shortstop because very few, few people you know can do that at a high level. So I think it's a very easy thing for people to say, oh, he'll have to move or whatever. So, I mean, I, I think that I've been able to do it. Um, I've had the ability to do it. Really the biggest thing that I've made the adjustment this year is the consistency of making routine plays and, and um, you know, tougher plays. So I think that's really just been the biggest thing is, is consistency. All right, well, last one here. We'll let you go so you can rake again today and, and go bridge a couple more times. I know you're swaggy. Talk to me about those swaggy shades that you got you got going on. Oh, um, yeah, they're a hundred percent. That's what that's the brand. Uh, I think they like kind of like made me like um, biking glasses and stuff like that. But I like them on the field, so um, you know I, I just kind of roll with them. Nice. Well, keep on rolling with them. Keep on doing everything you're doing. It's been fun to watch. Thanks for coming on and continue to kick ass. Yeah, bro. Thank you. You got it.
when you watch a player, like let's take Vladdy, for instance, an incredibly talented, incredible player who's going to be very successful in his big league career. But he came up and he struggled a little bit off the top, and he kind of loses that shine where suddenly we're looking at a baseball player. We're not looking at the myth, the legend anymore. We're watching a guy who is immortal. He's like anyone else. And Bo hasn't reached that point yet. He's still in that area where his ceiling could be anything because he's been so good right away, and we haven't seen what Bo struggling looks like yet. And that's a really fun place to be with a young player. You know what's funny is is even today I had the question, if you were starting a franchise now, who would you rather have, Bo or Vladdy? Which I think is crazy because if we would have started the season three months ago or whatever, if let's say that they would have not been called up yet, that question I don't think would have even been asked, right? I think that question would have been not even a question. It would have been like, hey, we're making it around Vladdy Jr. and that's the end of the story, right? It, I mean, I don't know if you would agree with me in that sentiment. Even after the big spring training, I still feel like Vladdy was – the guy, right? When he came up, it was like playoff atmosphere just for Vladdy. And I think now you you think about it and what he's been able to do at shortstop. And, and I mean, dude, he's, he's not just leaving the yard, like just like a little bit, like he's leaving the yard deep and he's also leaving the yard the other way. Right. So you might have, I, I think it's such a tough question. My answer to the question actually was, you don't have to worry because you have both of them for quite some time. So you don't really have to answer. You don't have to make a decision. I mean, it is the cop out because you don't have to make a decision, but I still think, I mean, back it up. We don't even have that question until he's had the debut and the continued, you know, the continued success breaking records. So I don't know. It's been fun to watch, man. And he's, I just like his confidence on the field. I think that he's a special player and I think, he is absolutely correct in in baseball is them they're always going to question can you stay at shortstop can you stay as a starter right because it's so tough to do but i think he's kind of come up and kind of said hey listen all you guys that question anything eat crow it's it's incredibly hard to argue with what he's done so far i mean i've been asked it before he does this accelerate the rebuild blah blah, blah what he's done i say you know, there's a long way to go. It's only X number of bats that he's had. But like I said before, it's just enjoy it. Like that's the big thing right now. Like this is going to be something he's going to have a really good career. This start that he had partly because it's historic, even if he hadn't broken those records, it would, it's just fun. It's like, it's a really good time to watch the blue Jays right now. And you don't have to worry about those questions, those bigger questions of how much further along does it bring the team does the comparison between him and Vladdy change? Sure. Like, if you want to have that debate, that's fine. But at the end of the day... It doesn't I, matter. No, it doesn't matter. So the, the biggest thing right now is he's doing something special. It's really enjoyable to watch. He's an exciting player. Let's embrace that. And then, you know, the off season. that's the time for those type of discussions. And even and then... You, you don't even have to yeah, then. It doesn't because, matter. Because they're, they're, they're both... They have, they're, they're around for the next six seasons. Like... That's what your entry-level contract, they're not going to be super twos. Like, they're here. That's why they were held back. So they're here, and they're and they're on this team for a while. So to me, it reminds me a little bit of Acuna coming up and what he did, Bellinger coming up and what he did. I mean, that's to me what Bo, Bo has done. I think he's changed it. Uh, and Vladdy, listen, I still think people kind of – 
are on the on the bow train, which is great. You can be on both of their trains. You just need to come to the field and get to just go, wow, these guys are unbelievable. But don't forget, dude, Vladdy, Vladdy's been like kind of just under the radar in a sense. If you would ask people like, oh, he's because he's not lived up to expectations, the dude's still raking. I mean, he's still – his OPS well, especially is – Especially lately. I mean, and his OPS is still there. His average has gone up every – I mean, he's his driving the ball now. So it's like I laugh because I'm like, man, this guy is supposedly not – having the year he was quote-unquote supposed to have. And he's – I mean, he's arguably – we can argue him being the rookie of the year. We can. Yeah, and, he, you know, if you look up at the end of the season, if he keeps raking the way he's raked the last couple of weeks for maybe three, four more weeks, you could look up at the end of the year and he could have done exactly what you thought he maybe would have done. Yeah. If you're worried about Vladdy right now, your head's in the wrong place. But I will, uh, you know, bring in something that will take us down a notch, things maybe we should be worried about. I don't know. When the Blue Jays brought Charlie Montoya across, we knew that the opener was going to be a thing at some point. We had it in our you know, over-unders at the beginning of the year. It's going to blow over right now because of the, they've traded all the guys and they're using it all the time. I'm not against the opener. I think it makes the game a tiny bit less fun. I like the narrative arc of a traditional starter's start, but it's not the Blue Jays' job to give me the narrative arc I like within the course of one baseball game. What I'm wondering is, you've got all these young pitchers right now. They're trying to prove themselves, establish themselves at this level. Is using the opener the best thing for them? Because on one hand, you could say, you know, if you're, you've got Sean Reed Foley, and I know Sean Reed Foley got bombed by the Dodgers. Everyone gets bombed by the Dodgers, yeah. whatever. Welcome to the Dodgers this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But on one hand, you can say, I'm putting Sean Reed Foley in the best position to succeed because I'm giving him the opener and then he doesn't have to face the top of the lineup three times, yada, yada, yada. And, I, and that logic from a baseball perspective, winning, losing that game, absolutely makes perfect sense to me. On the other hand, don't you want to give Sean Reed Foley the biggest possible challenge because you want these guys to show that they're up to that task because you want to find out who your guys who might be a proper middle of the rotation starter who doesn't need an opener in the future is that's where I'm kind of, I don't know. I don't actually know which side I'm on. So I'm curious to see which one you're on. Well, for me, it's all, it's all roster construction in the sense of think about this. The Rays are the best pitching staff in the American league numbers. Statistically, they're, they're one of the best, right? The Dodgers are the best overall ERA in all of baseball, right? Now you, now you look at the different rosters. They don't have the opener in L.A. They have a starting rotation with a lot of good starters. You look at Tampa Bay Rays. They've had to put the premium on the opener because they might not have the quality starters, but they have a quality pen. And so to me, I think that that's why they have to use that. But they're in a win-now mode because they're in the try-to-compete mode. So – I'm torn, but if I'm going to give you a direct answer, I think that I'm okay with the opener because you have to look at the situation and look at the roster for the Blue Jays. I don't know if Sean Reed Foley, when, if it's a winning team, Sean Reed Foley in the in the rotation. I doubt I it. I uh, okay. Panone. I, I love Panone. But is I he, like him as a bullpen guy. Right? So then for me – now, if you start to really peel back the layers, I think that they're kind of going, hey, these are what these guys can possibly be. 
Let's try to maximize their potential and maximize. That's how they need to maximize it. Because to be honest with you, I think Sean, Sean Rifoli, for me, even his personality, he profiles as a back end of the bullpen guy, like his fire, his attitude. And I think if you throw him for an inning, his fastball goes to 90. He, I mean, he was throwing rockets against the Yankees, right? He's 97. I think yes, yesterday he was in his low mid nineties. I think you throw him for an inning and you tick his his velocity up. He's up ninety seven, ninety eight with that slider. I think he could be a back end guy. I think Panone could be a, a starter, long relief guy. I think he can go back and forth. But to me, it all has to do with the roster construction. So I'm not mad at what they're doing in the sense of you just answered it right. Some of these guys, what are they? What can they be? I mean, I th- I think that there's starter starters, and there's guys that maybe you have to maximize. So maybe they're trying to see for next year to go, well, what happens if we go out and get a couple starters, maybe two or three starters? Let's say, for example, now they have Sean Reed Foley and, and Panone. Maybe that's their role is to be the, the open, to have the opener guy and then have the other three starters because Tampa has proved that it still can win doing that. So to me, that's that's how I look at it. Is you have to look at what you're, what you're, what, if when Nate comes up, that dude's starting for me. If they, if he, there ain't no opener for Nate Pearson's freaking days when he's pitching, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's interesting because this strategy. I know that in history in baseball, it's been used a little bit, but really, it's been popularized in the last two years. And now we're already talking about someone's future role being, I don't know, guys like to say the bulk guy. So like we're already projecting, say, Panone or Sean Foley as a bulk guy, which is interesting because before the strategy was we're going to have this guy, we're going to run him out as a starter until he kind of proves he can't do it. Then we'll put him in bulk. You and I agree. Sean Foley would be a fine reliever. Yeah. He'd be a good part of a good bullpen. Yeah. So where I'm coming from is – I I think it's unlikely that Sean Foley becomes a top three four starter who you're rolling out with an, without an opener. I think that's an unlikely scenario. But are you going to give him that shot in this season that doesn't matter on the off chance he can do that? And instead, by doing this, it feels like you're saying we see him as a as not guy a guy. Who, yeah, a guy who falls not over. a guy. And maybe you know maybe it's late enough in his development. Maybe we've seen enough of him that that's fair. And I it. Again, it's the most likely scenario. Yeah, it's questionable. But if I'm them, I might be shooting for the moon a little bit more on the off chance that someone rolls in in these last couple months and really comes forward. Now, again, it is funny for me to say on one hand, I think he's a reliever. On the other hand, go out and start him. But that's where you are in those seasons where you're you're not competitive. Exactly. I do think that you're in the position to be able to do that um, and be able to run him out there every fifth day and see, hey, maybe maybe he is. Maybe he does profile as a starter and he can start the rest of the year. I, I just – you're absolutely correct in the position that the Blue Jays are in. But I also think, and this is my, my other brain is going, the Blue Jays, what are – the fans are coming around again. I have – I see people on social media talking about how much they're actually a fan again of the Blue Jays and how much they enjoy the Blue Jays again, right? If what gives you your biggest chance to win a game is starting him as having the opener, when you have fans coming around and starting to watch games again, you don't want them to go and watch these young guys lose, right? And although the wins don't count, 
do they count in sense of somebody coming to the field and going, well, this guy was just the starter just went four innings and got his, his ass kicked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's something to that. I think also if you're, say, you're Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins, and the Blue Jays finish strong, even from a win-loss perspective, maybe that helps you go to ownership and say, we want to buy X pitcher, X outfielder. <laughs> and, and, and don't give them, the, I mean, as much credit. I think that also saves them I mean, them I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm also, what also saves them an opportunity, too, of going like, hey, look, we have a plan. Stick with us a few more years because the guys that we, the plan is starting to come and actually happen. Which gives them a few more years. Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're building for the future, you definitely give yourself that job security, and that's what we've seen for years. And that's a whole that's a whole other different debate. story. That's yeah. a whole other debate. We're gonna finish today the way we always finish, which is a would you rather. This one really kicked up some dust in the office. It's a bizarre one. So, would you rather eat twenty five large pancakes in one sitting? Basically, how this is going to work, you're going to sit at a table and you're going to eat pancakes there, 25, like proper pancakes, not silver dollar, until it's done. So you're not going to leap. So you're going to have you're going to have a bucket, you know, not to be too gross, too crass. You're going to have a bucket to puke in. Okay. And you're going to try and get through these pancakes. 25. But I don't have, I don't have a time limit, though. No. Okay. It's, it's just the, the slog right. of that. I assume they have syrup. I guess maybe you could, I don't know. That could they even, have to have syrup. Yeah, they, they could even dry. It might even be worse. To, I don't know. I can no, see it either way. Yeah, it's, it's got to help for sure. It probably helps at the end of the day. The other, this is funny because this is a kind of a JPism, go fly a kite. The other is, would you rather do that or fly a kite in a thunderstorm for 25 minutes? So either you want to take. Well, is there, is in this thunderstorm, is there lightning being yeah, struck? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would say that I would, if it was me, I would much rather have the pancakes, the twenty-five, or the try to eat through twenty-five pancakes, because if there's no time limit and I can't get up until I'm done eating it, that's fine. I can crush a good amount of food on one sitting. That's something I've, I, I can do at a. To it's actually kind of unfortunate because I will gorge at times when I'm taking like cheat meals and stuff like that. So I would say that although 25 pancakes is daunting, I also am from Miami, Florida, and I've seen lightning strikes, and I've also heard and been in places that people have died from lightning strikes. So I will be staying away from anything that has that kind of electricity and power to kill me because 25 pancakes ain't going to kill me. It would not kill me. But us being out there in a storm and the flying the kite, which is going to be probably tough as heck in a thunderstorm with the chance of being struck by lightning i'll sit give me my fork and knife and i will crush the pancakes i think i think you're right i think that that's what i would do as well but i think you're being dismissive of how difficult it is to eat 25 like if you had a huge plate of pancakes that's four pancakes. You know what I mean? No, How big is a stack? A big stack would be four no, to six a, pancakes. A, yeah, I would say I would say a big stack is is five pancakes. Five pancakes. So, so five, five times talking, five. You like you? Do have, I have a TV? Uh, Do I have a obviously, TV? Obviously, I mean. Can you throw a TV <laughs> on there? <laughs> I'm gonna say no now, but I guess I'm not really coming from any like <laughs> lost credibility in building the scenario. 
I just think that it would be so unpleasant. Like pancakes are very, very filling. Yeah, they're, I don't. They're pheno- they're also very tasty as well. Yeah, for the first five, being, like being struck by lightning is not tasty when you're freaking. No, people I, are at your wake. I think that there's very little chance you actually die. I think it would be more terrifying than anything else. I would do it as well, but I talk. I talked to Zoobs about this. Our producer. What Zoobs have to say? He wants to fly the kite. He's like, if I eat those pancakes, it's going to be a horrible time, guaranteed. And I think the chances of dying from the kite are, are relatively slim. Yeah, but there's there's a slim <laughs> chance of dying as opposed to zero chance of dying. Yeah, so he, you know, he's, he, he's he, taking ho- the risk. he holds yeah. his life a little bit more lightly in his hands. Right, he's taking the risk. I don't know. I agree. I agree with you. I don't think it's as easy a dilemma, perhaps, as you uh, presented it as. Thank you. Anyway, we're going to end there. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Whether it's iTunes, Spotify, you continue to leave reviews and subscribe. We appreciate all of it. And we hope you tune in next week.